Welcome to Uncommon Sense. I'm your host, Jill Gleba, and we're talking to inspirational, common, and imperfect people just trying their best and trying to gain some uncommon sense. Are you buried in debt? Kimberly bought a home and proceeded to lose her job. She could not pay her bills or her house payment, so she got creative and decided to move to her basement and run out her upstairs bedrooms. She's quite creative when it comes to finding money to pay off debt. We also talk about the emotional mistakes people make when it comes to spending money. Kimberly now is an experienced expert at debt and developing good money habits. Let's hear her story and some great tips for those of us that carry too much debt. Today will be a treat. Welcome to Uncommon Sense. And I have a guest, Kimberly Demarest, who is not only an expert, but her expertise came from her own personal experience, which you're going to share with us today. She's a debt and financial coach. So just to be clear, she's not repairing your credit and debt. What she's doing is she's helping you reduce debt and develop good money habits. So I think this is something we could all use, and we're going to chat about that today. So welcome. Thank you for having me, but I appreciate it. I think the hardest part about even me, who um, we invest money for people and save money for people, but you have to have money to invest. And the problem is a lot of people are not taught proper cash flow and making goals and that sort of thing. In fact, I tell people it's what you save and it's what you keep. It's not what you make. I have people that make far less money than other people and they manage to save more than people that make 50% more than them because of the way their lifestyle is and the choices they make. All of us have made mistakes. You're being kind today to share your mistakes. Maybe people will learn from that. We're hoping, right? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. So if you don't mind, the reason for this podcast is for all of us to learn from each other and we're all imperfect people. So let's start with your story. You were in debt quite a bit. Yes. And tell me what that was like and what the situation was. I started to maybe think about getting out of debt July of 2008. And then I promptly lost my job because of the Great Recession. And that was a very stressful year just because unemployment is not sufficient. But when I came out of it and I was back working again, I had finally sat down at my desk at work and it was lunchtime. I was like, okay, just rip off the Band-Aid, Kim, look at all of this stuff. What do you have? Where are you at? Because I was working again and all that. And so I added all the debt up and two things was just completely shocking to me. The first was that my total debt was almost 50000 It was like forty nine five something like that. That didn't include my house, the mortgage on my house. And then what made me even more irritated was that probably 75 to 80% of my income, my monthly take-home pay, was going out to debt. So that meant I didn't have any money to spend on things that I want. I never went on vacation. I didn't go camping. I didn't do anything that I wanted to do. So that made me angry. And it was out of this anger um, I had learned from Dave Ramsey. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to you know, do that. I'm going to do those baby steps. And so I did. I sat down and I started working on it and started writing a budget. And the shocking thing was that the more I budgeted and planned my money, 
the more control I felt, the more peaceful I felt of getting out of debt. So it took me three and a half years to dig out of the 50,000. And right about that time, I got married. And then we put a lot of money into my house and sold my house and then bought a car and then paid off my husband's house. So by September 2015, we were completely debt-free, um, including the house. Let's point yeah. out the timeline for people, if you don't mind, is you were yeah. part of this debt came from that you lost your job. Some of it, yeah, because I put a lot on credit card because I did it. I had so much debt. I didn't have any emergency fund. Two points. One is from 2008 to 2015, that's seven years. Just want everybody mm-hmm. to know it's not an overnight success. And the no. other thing I want you to share with us is you got laid off and you owned a home. I mean, that's a yeah, bad that situation. Was, that was awful. And just to correct, like 2008, I was going into debt. It wasn't until 2010, March of 2010, that I was like, okay, no more debt. But yeah, unemployment is like 1470 I think, per month. And so my mortgage at the time, I'm trying to remember, I believe it was like 12 something. I can't remember. Anyway, it was almost all of the unemployment. And so I'm like, how am I going to survive? How do you right. do this? And so what I ended up doing was I was single at the time. And so I just moved into my basement and rented out rooms in my house to Eastern Michigan college students and had roommates, basically. And those two things really saw me through. But I still ended up putting like probably 20000 on the credit card from the fall of 2008 until probably January of 2010. That's how much I had put on credit card. So the point is this, you got laid off, you had bills to pay, you could have lost your home. Easily. But you got creative. You got creative and you said, okay, what am I going to do to bring in money? And I'm sure you were looking for a job too. And it, all this stuff oh, at yeah. once, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Totally. So my point is people aren't lazy. People get into situations that are difficult. Mm -hmm. That's really, and you probably are an expert at this because I want to finish with your story, but you're kind of a double good guest today because you have a personal experience, but now you're an expert and you can kind of share with us other stories of what people Mm -hmm. get pickles into. But my point is it's tough because you were in a situation, you did what you could to bring in money, but even though you brought in people to your home to rent out, you ended up in debt. Still and more, yeah. So two years later, you're looking at your debt. You get angry. You're like, oh my gosh, this is too much. So you went through a program though to figure out how to get out of debt. So could you share with us maybe how you managed to do that? Yeah, so pretty simple using Dave Ramsey's baby steps. So you save $1,000 cash emergency fund. And then you snowball out of debt. So you list your debt smallest to largest, except for your house. And you attack the smallest one. When that one's paid off, you roll that minimum payment into the next one. And then you attack that and then so on and so forth until you're done. And then you increase your emergency fund to three to six months. Mm -hmm. And then you start putting 15% of your income into investments. Mm -hmm. And then say for kids college pay off the house. So those are the steps. They're called baby steps, but each one is very painful. (laughs) It is painful because all your money is going to debt. But the other thing is you have to make money in order 
to do these baby steps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you have to really focus and on your deep whys. Like, why do I want to be out of debt? For me, I was just done with that because Mm -hmm. I realized that if the recession had hit and I had a year of expenses saved up, then I wouldn't have had to put any money on a credit card. Like taking out debt in an emergency, it seems like, oh, that's a great idea. But really, that makes you feel even worse because you know that you have to pay it back. And during that time, like I I had to ask my mom to, she had a credit card with zero money on it. And it also had a balance transfer discount, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, either I pay 30% on this credit card, which I couldn't even afford the minimum payment at that point in time. Or wow. I put it on my mom's credit card. So she let me do that, um, which I was really appreciative of. And I did pay it off, that credit card, and I was done with that. But I was like, just all of the stress, financial stress is just, people who are under financial stress, and this is what I was, I thought about money every minute of the day. Oh. Every minute. And now I think about it when I do the budget, which is one time a month, and it takes me about an hour and a half to do everything that I need to do for our money, including talking to my husband, what are we going to do this month? And, you know, going to the bank and all this other stuff. So I like that you just said that because that's what we teach our clients. And I do the same thing is you have your emergency fund, you know what your cash flow is, you know what your bills are. You've got a general handle on things. Of course, things come up. But if you say fixed bills versus variable bills, I always tell people, you should know right off the top of your head. If I said, what are you living on per month? You should know that. Yeah. That should be a number that comes easily to your head. And those listeners that don't, go look it up. Go look at what your average spending is per month. Look at your bank accounts. Look what your average spending is. Look what you bring in every month. Those two numbers, that's it. What are you bringing in? What are you spending every month? And it's funny, just that exercise alone will curb your spending because you're going to start looking at it saying, I spent what at Target? (laughs) You know, and you're going to say, wait a minute, I'm going to have to change things because there are other things that are more important to me than just stop, right? Yeah, and I I call that the awareness budget. That's usually Mm -hmm. where I start clients Mm -hmm. is you have to know where you're beginning because so many people, if you ask them that question, how much are you spending on groceries? You know, just like, I have no idea, you know, because most people are swipe, 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 swipe. I got no money. Credit card, swipe, swipe, swipe. Oh, I got some more money. Back to the debit card. Swipe, 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 swipe. I no money. So you have to know yeah. where you start before you can make any changes. I agree and trying to keep it simple. So you've been through this. It took you seven years to get where you want to be, which you have no debt right now. That's um, right. What else do you want to share? I don't want to share it for you. <laughs> well, I mean, we paid off our house and a lot of people, how old were we? Like 30, the last were 38. We were 38 years old when we paid off our house. And I think that is the best feeling in the world to know yes. that you owe no one. The economy, COVID can hit, everything can shut down. We have um, two years emergency fund because my husband has a big security gland. (laughs) We have enough cash to see us through two years if, you know, some crazy COVID thing were to happen again or another great recession. Like none of the things that happens in the, you know, the bigger economy 
really touch us because we have so much peace over our money. Yes. Um, here's an example. COVID hit and my husband's employer said, you guys are going to have to take a pay delay. So that meant that they were reducing their income by, I can't remember the percentage. I want to say it was 20%. Wow. For an unknown amount of time. They didn't know what that meant. They were going to get their pay back, but also we were very thankful that they weren't just going to cut everybody, right? They weren't going to lay people off. Yes. So we're like, we'll take a pay delay over a layoff any day of the week, right? Well, all we did was, because we were used to it when we were paying off the house, we just cut back our lifestyle. We were like, okay, let's just cut back our lifestyle. So we did, and it was no big deal. We didn't even touch our emergency fund with a 20% change in our income every month. So that was, to me, Huge. amazing. And mm -hmm. it wasn't scary. We weren't fearful. We were like, well, that's what the emergency fund is for, so it'll be fine. You know? so, so, yeah. In fact, I want to bring up a couple things there. One is attitudes about money. So when I first meet people, we have a psychological profile and we ask the question, what's important about money to you? And interestingly enough, they fall into one of three categories. The answers are all very different, but they fall into fear-based. I don't want to run out of money and they're afraid, which is a bad way to go in life. And you just described that. The yeah. second is, I just want to pay my bills. Um, but what's interesting to me is the people that say that are just paying their bills. And then the third category are people that say, I want the freedom that money will give me. I want my money to provide me income one day. And we can always get that, um, I just want to pay my bills, people, to realize what money can do for you and the freedom it will provide. But the people that are in fear, I want to expand on that a little bit because we've talked about this together, you and I. The problem is people listening to this podcast, some might be in really dire trouble with their jobs. Sure situation, someone maybe a medical problem and they stopped working. And it's very, very difficult. And what I've realized when I go to churches and different locations to talk about money with people, the people that are poor that aren't paying their bills and they have bad credit, they have a harder time catching up than the average person because their bad credit means they're paying more interest for their debt. And they have a harder time climbing out. And I want to acknowledge that, that that's a horrible thing because the people that are in decent positions and they have a job and they're paying their bills are like, why are people going into debt? There's a lot of reasons. So if you don't mind me pivoting away from your story a little bit, I'd love for you yes. to share some of these pitfalls and maybe some stories with us. But have you had people that have been in the position I just described that they really had bad credit and bad Oh, yeah, higher sure. interest rates to get out of debt and, you know, how you help those yeah. type of people? Yeah, so it depends on how bad the situation is and how far behind. I will say that normally it is not the lower income people that have so much debt. Normally it's my high income earners that have really? so much debt. Mm -hmm. Now that's so, interesting. So I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> Don't be sorry. I think a lot yeah. of people think the more income you have, the easier it is. To some right. degree, yes. But also you have to start saying no to the lifestyle to get it under control. And that's mm -hmm. where I find high income earners 
struggle the most is saying no. Whereas my low income earners, they have a much easier time with that part of the process of saying no and working on the spending. So just an example, a family of eight. So mom, dad, six kids. The income was um, $250,000 a year. That was the husband's income. She was the stay-at-home mom. And they had $730,000 of debt. Ouch. Of that amount, only two hundred and fifty dollars was the house. So the house was not a big number of it. It was all, they were behind on their car payments, both car payments. They had a car paid off, but they weren't willing to give up one of the cars. Um, They were behind on their house payment. A $250,000 house was not a large house payment for that family, right? Mm -hmm. So they were behind on so much stuff. And then they wanted to start a hobby farm. And I was like, you need to choose. Do you want to be out of debt and bring peace? Or do you want this hobby farm? Because a hobby farm is going to take a long time before it's going to produce food for you. And they chose hobby farm. They couldn't say no to their spending. Whereas I work with low-income families through Journey to Housing, great program in Western Wayne County. And they don't have a problem saying no. They hate it, but they don't have a problem saying no, where they have a problem in getting... They don't have the money and they're used to that. So usually spending is not so much a problem. Most of the problem on that and the things is a scarcity mindset. So when they get a lot of money, say their tax refund, then they end up spending it because they don't know when that money's going to come again. And they want to just like, oh, like it, it's very hard to get them out of that mindset. But yeah, they're just different problems. They have different problems. But circling back to the fear, so one of the things that I've seen in order to move somebody from fear-based to freedom and money, the first thing that has to happen is that they have to feel a level of control with their monthly money plan, their cash flow plan. So if they don't feel a level of control, they'll never break free of that fear. The next step is really having that cash emergency fund And the families that I find that once they have that, and I actually do more than a thousand now in general because, you know, car repairs now are more than things cost more. Yeah. Things cost more. So we talk about how much is, is a good number for that family, depending on what their situation is. But once they have that number, they don't want to let it go. And so that helps them move out of that fear base. But one of the things that I've seen is that. They'll have that emergency fund and then some kind of emergency will happen and then they'll put it on the credit card. So because they want to preserve, they never had the savings before. So they want to preserve that, which is, I love that feeling. Like, I love your thought, but this doesn't make any sense. You're getting 30% interest on this credit card. And your savings is earning no interest, right? Because usually it's uh, a savings account. So this doesn't make sense. And they're like, oh, Kim, okay, fine. I'll pay it off. And I'm like, okay, good. Actually, I do try to get people to take out interest-bearing checking accounts in Southeast Michigan. That would be like Genesis Credit Union, Lake Michigan Credit Union. If you happen to be Catholic, Alliance Catholic Credit Union. They we'll all just have say, more. We'll just say percent. credit unions. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so we don't. I want to add to what you're saying is a lot of times I'll get somebody to call me up and they said, you know, I need to access some money. Maybe an emergency comes up. That's a common problem I think people have is that they go right to that credit card. And I sit back and I say to them, well, listen, let's think about this a minute. There's many access points to get money. And who's going to cost you the least amount? And it's a situation temporary or more permanent. And so you answer the question in that way because people turn to the credit card and I don't care if it's 20 or 30%. So I'm not correcting you. I'm just saying, do you want to pay a credit card company 20% to access money? Do you want to go to maybe your 401k that it might be 8% and you're paying yourself interest back to access money? Do you want to go to your bank account where the money's already there and it doesn't cost money to access that money, but you've drained your emergency? Do you want to do an equity line that might be, for instance, 6%? So you look at all your avenues and you look at, okay, what's going to be the least expensive way to go? And how sometimes you might go with an expen- more expensive route because it's temporary. It's only a few months. But there's a lot of different yeah. ways to access money that you don't have to pay 20% to someone. That I always tell my clients, I'll loan you money for 20%. But that's right? And they're like, no, 20%. When, when there's a phase, they're like, no, I'm not giving you 20%. <laughs> but the interesting thing is what, what I found with that is that um, once they have the emergency fund and it's there, it's hard for people to actually use that for emergencies to get off of. They obviously, most of the people that I deal with have problems with credit cards. So they're not. They've never paid off their credit card at the end of the month. So it's always interest bearing, right? For those people, it's really important to be like, okay, I'm going to use my emergency fund. And then my next task is to rebuild it. And I want to talk about attitudes a little bit. You're correct that I grew up with no money. So it's probably easier for me to save money than someone that grew up with money because I'm used to buying a used car. I'm used to ordering waters at the restaurant instead of a Coke. Yeah. I'm used to actually not even going out to restaurants. But the truth of the matter is I've lived skinny all my life. So it's very easy for me to do without because it's something I'm used to. Right. Whereas you get somebody that grew up in a family that they went out to eat a lot. They stayed in hotels when they went on vacation. You know, as a kid, I never stayed in a hotel. My parents, we went camping maybe once a year and we stayed at a friend's cottage. And my dad would help them with projects around the house and such. So you get what I'm thinking is that I think you grow up with what you're used to and then you expect the same as you grow up. It's just, it's a bias you have, right? That's right. Yeah. And you can have different reactions to how you grew up. So in my family's world, you know, my mom was a big spender. My dad was a big spender. But my mom was the nerd and the one who kind of like controlled all of the money for the family. But she didn't really, and maybe most people are like this, I don't know, but my parents didn't really talk about money. They didn't teach me about money. You know, that was more of a like a figure it out on your own kind of situation. So I had the experience where I did worse than what my parents did. So my parents didn't have a lot of debt. They paid off their credit cards every month, that sort of thing. So I didn't do that. I went into debt (laughs) because you didn't know, but you didn't know better. No one talked about it. You didn't get any training. Why do you think we're doing this podcast? Because people are not taught and we want to change that. So, right. Yeah. Some people can have the opposite reaction. So let's say their parents were, you know, super big savers. Then they'll have the reaction that, especially if they have a high income, 
that they don't want to go back there and they want to just spend, 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 and they have enough income to do that. And they haven't reached that pain point where maybe credit cards or whatever is caught up to them. So I think it depends on your situation and how you grow up and how you react. So why are people overspending, in your opinion, just from your experience? Why are people overspending and spending money they don't they don't even have and going into debt? I personally think it has a lot to do with the brain science behind it. Mm-hmm. So Carnegie Mellon did research that when you use credit card into a lesser extent, a debit card, the pain centers in your brain don't light up. So you don't realize you're spending money. So we see this because, like, for example, McDonald's used to only take cash way back when. (laughs) And now they take credit cards. Why? Because credit cards make people spend more money. One of the studies I had done, so I always had encouraged people to use cash for physical locations. So if you can physically walk into a place like a grocery store or, you know, a restaurant or something like that to use cash, two reasons for this, um, it's freedom from tracking. So most of the people I work with are not fans of tracking their expenses every day. They want something that is easier and cash is easier because if you put it into an envelope marked, you know, pocket cash, and that's what you're going to spend on your fund money, then as you use it, your brain automatically senses, oh, here's where I'm at with the budget. And you know that if you spend just within that amount, you're not going to bust your budget. So that's reason number one. Reason number two in marriages, which I love working with young married couples. Those are my favorite folks to work with because typically a spender will marry a saver, right? They'll marry their opposites. So in that setup, cash is freedom to that spender because of like, here's the money for groceries and here's the money for your pocket cash. And as long as you stick within that, then we're good. So then there's not the spender busting budget um, because it's already pre-planned. So I think most of the reason is because credit cards anesthetize the brain. I did this little study. So people always complain about going to cash. Ah, oh, it's so painful. They don't want to go to cash. But I mean, once you run out of cash, yeah. there is no more. So it's a pretty definite way to go. Once you run out, you're out. Where credit cards will offer you more and more and more because, well, that's how they make their money. That's so, right. And you're not okay. even realizing that you're spending. So I did this little <laughs> study and about 100 families have gone through this. So this was averaged over 100 families. Okay. So we took a month before they entered coaching and we looked at how much they spent on their credit cards, how much they spent on debit cards, and then cash. And cash is always zero, right? And then I had them go cash for physical locations, except for gas stations, because people with kids, blah, blah, blah. You can use your debit card for that. But cash for everything else that you can physically walk into. Debit card for your Amazon purchases, paying your bills and all that kind of stuff. And then no credit cards. Okay, no credit cards. Okay. No credit okay. cards for one month. Let me repeat and that. Then, no credit cards, debit card for gas and things like that. And then cash for every place that you could walk in to spend money, you had to use cash. That's right. And then we did the totals at the end. So on average, people saved 38% by going cash. Wow. Wow. 38%. 
my highest one was like, they saved 58%. So what is that telling you? They're spending more than they make mm-hmm. on the credit cards, right? Yeah. The worst savings I ever saw was 8%. And that lady was the most diligent, detailed person you've mm-hmm. ever seen in your entire life. Like engineer to the max. Okay. She counted every penny and she still saved 8%. So you're saying before you even went into the program, she was tracking. And so when you went to cash, you still saved 8%. I get what you're saying. Okay. No one broke even. Not a single person broke even. And no one saved more with using credit cards. So this brings us to the whole thing of how much are those airline points actually costing you? Because if you are spending more, naturally, I didn't have them change anything else. They took out the same amount that they were supposed to take out, right? Didn't have them change anything else. So if you are naturally spending more, who is paying for those airline points? Is it you or is it the credit card company? Oh, it is you. Yes. And if you don't believe me, because you won't. I'll just guarantee you right now, because nobody does until they do the challenge. So I call it a cash challenge. And I'm like, report, I would love to hear from anyone who actually did the numbers and broke even with credit card and uh, debit card spending only. So post that challenge and let's see if we get anybody to respond or go on Facebook where we have the podcast and do the cash route and see if that really does save you money. So tell me about that couple you mentioned that was $750,000 in debt and only, was it two hundred or two fifty dollars was their mortgage. So how are they doing? How did you get them going here? Well, they made the decision to focus on their hobby farm. And so I couldn't coach them because they didn't want to focus on getting out of debt. It wasn't important to them. It wasn't. Not at that time. I think it will be eventually but that's yeah. sad so you got to really get um like you described in the beginning when you were in debt you were angry about it you were mad at yourself you knew you could do better and i agree with you you have to be motivated people can't do this for you i'll tell a story just because we're telling stories but i had a client that did very well for herself but lived in a huge home i'm gonna i'm gonna say six thousand square foot hall mm-hmm. made great money but i have to tell you every time we met we we're just talking about Let's work on debt. Let's work on debt. Let's work on debt. Right. Um, It was getting, and she just didn't find it important. I'm going to give an example. Uh, Had to have a Mercedes um, because of her, what she did for a living. She wanted to look important, right? And one day she called me and she was pulling out money to go to Hawaii with her family. And I said, you know, you could go to Florida or the Caribbean. Your kids will have just as much fun and you'll save five, six grand easy. Yeah, And I think she just, something hit her. I wish I remember what it was that triggered her. And this was a conversation maybe a few weeks later. She came in and said, you know, I'm sick of talking about this debt. I said, so am I. (laughs) And I said, but you've got to make the choices to get rid of this debt. And that I said, that's the problem is you're making choices. I said, you got to get rid of that expensive car, get rid of that expensive house, stop taking these huge vacations. I said, you go out to eat at expensive restaurants that I never, uh, you know, you 
I can enjoy time with my friends going to a, an average restaurant. It doesn't always have to be an expensive restaurant. And actually, right. my case never needs to be. And you and I laugh, but I mean, the very first quote in my book uh, is something like, uh, rich people act like they're poor and poor people act like they're rich. And she's a perfect example of this. And, you know, it's funny. I think what hit her when she came in to talk to me is her brother and her were talking and she talked about her debt. And I laughed because she came in and said, yeah, my brother says I really need to get out of debt. And I almost started laughing and pulling my hair out. And I, I said, wait a minute, we've been talking about this for six years, but finally she's motivated because her brother gave her some crap about it. But you know what? Right. I'll take it <laughs> because right, yeah. she did change herself around and she stopped just throwing out the money. And the other thing I want to just touch on is um, these are for people that are doing pretty well. I'm going to say middle, upper middle class. Yeah. They give out money to their kids like it's candy. And by doing this, they're teaching their kids that money comes from them and right. that they're always going to get bailed out. And I think they don't realize the attitude and what they're doing to their kids. I think they're right. creating monsters by doing this. And I know I'm going to be unpopular. Yeah. I'm going to be unpopular yeah. saying this, but <laughs> you really need to. Um, I start my kids on um, at five years old, a dollar a week. I increase it by a dollar every year. By the time they're in high school, whatever the number is, they're getting money every month and they've learned to budget it while they could make a lot of mistakes. Because a lot of kids get to college and they have no idea how to budget. And that's where okay. it all starts, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's where it went downhill for me. <laughs> Did it? Yeah, for sure. College. I mean, in college, I remember uh, my mom just calling me up, Kim, go down to the administration building and sign the paperwork so you can stay in school. That paperwork I was saying was getting me into debt. <laughs> and what he did have to sign up for stupid. Oh, Joe, I'm done stupid with lots of zeros on it. My other big stupid mistake was, so this is 2007, springtime. And my mom on a Friday emailed me, this is your house. Now come and see it during your lunchtime. And I was like, it was on there for 180, 190,000. I was like, there's no way I could pay this. And there's just no way. So I just deleted it, didn't reply to her. So she, at the end of the day, she called me up. I'm at your house and I'm, I'm looking at it right now. And I'm like, mom, I can't afford the house. She's like, Kim, it's going up at auction. It'll go up for cheap. Pull out $3,000 earnest money. And I'm like, mom, that's my entire savings account. And she's like, Kim, this house is going to be a good deal. Just do it. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do it. So the next time we go and bid on this house, a huge auction is a foreclosure auction. And I told my mom, I was like, I can't have more than $140,000. There's no way I can afford the mortgage. Jill, I was not pre-approved for a mortgage. All I had was a $3,000. After a rebid, we had 30 days to close on the house. I had to get a mortgage and close on the house in 30 days. And of course, 2007, I was probably one of those people I should have not gotten a mortgage. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Um, so I ended up with a house. I had never seen it. I didn't see it. In oh, my. There was no inspection on the house. It was just like... Stupid upon stupid upon stupid. Oh my God. I survived though, I guess. That's what you can say for that. But 
anyway. What a bad way to go about it, though. So there's right there. The bad lesson is you didn't save up for the house. You didn't save up for a down payment. You didn't figure out how much it would cost, blah, 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 blah. Do you have a story, maybe, of somebody that was in debt and you helped them get out so that people can, and you don't have to be detailed, but just an idea to maybe give the listeners an idea of how do they go about this? And I, I understand about the rolling, um, you pay on the loan and so you well. keep trying to free some extra money. And I'll start by saying I had a couple that was in heavy debt and I don't have the debt training as you do because I'm more of an investor person. But I said to them, you know, you got to create money or you got to spend less money. That's the bottom line is you've got That's to right. create a gap so that you can put some extra money onto your debt and just start picking at that debt as best you can. This couple is a young couple. Both had two full-time jobs, but I was very proud of them. This is a great success story that they both got part-time jobs and it was retail. She got a retail job and I think he increased his hours. Like so asked for more hours at work because he was um, a tradesman. So he could increase his pay by just increasing more work. So she literally got a job at a store. She worked, I think, one weekend and two nights a week. Yeah. While she worked her full-time job. They didn't have kids. So this was a little easier for them than someone with a family. Or one of you stays home and the other one goes out. You just make your decision, right? And I got to tell you something. They were picking at that debt. And once they started doing it, they had excited. So emotionally, it was a great, great thing for them. And then after they got out of debt, they kept working these hours to put some money away. And it all took off for them. But eventually, she stopped working the retail because, you know, it wears on you. But they did get ahead and they got out of debt. So that's one simple example. But do you have any, the idea here you and I are talking about is not only what they did, but it's the emotion. It's that you're ready to do it. And this couple was excited to get out in debt where you right. just had a great example. Some of them could care less. They're like, no, don't want to do it. Right. Yes. You have to want to because you yeah. are learning how to delay gratification, essentially. That is the, the goal. So I have a, a couple of numbers. So I am currently coaching a young man and I'm particularly proud of him. He's a single dad. Not only was he in a lot of debt, he had about $35,000 of debt, but he also was behind on all of his bills, which, you know, the number I'm going to tell you where he's at today is not going to seem like a lot. But if you're behind on bills, then getting caught up and then building an emergency fund and getting ahead, it's actually, it takes, it takes a little bit. So in one year, he's paid off about $6,805. Well, actually, exactly. That's over 500 a month putting on debt. So year, yes. So the other thing is, is it doesn't tell you what the turnaround is because he was going into debt by X number of dollars every month. I don't, I don't have that data, but he was going into debt by a lot plus he was behind. So that was a really cool one. And then I have another lady. She started with me in the beginning of 2021 and had $110,860 of debt. And then today, well, as of May, she's down to 72571 So um, just in a very short time, and she's a single mom, two kids, doesn't get any child support and just is working very hard and is doing it and amazing. But how how she do it? She's not earning more money. So did she shave uh, her spending down? Did she work extra hours? Did she just maybe change her habits of what she's spending money on? Like what kind of changes did she make that helped 
both of them that helped them become successful. Yeah. All of my clients, I ask them, are you okay with me throwing a bomb into how you're handling your money now? Because that's what we're going to do. We're going to change everything about how you handle your money. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we do is we do a, um, attack the spending and the uh, bu- the budgeting, right? But I define budget. I like Rachel Cruz's definition of a budget, which is permission to spend. Mm-hmm. So if you tell me that your goal is to get out of debt, then everything that you purchase, you go on vacation, whatever you're doing, you're telling yourself, this goal is not important to me versus X, whatever that X is, vacation. So you're always asking yourself, is my goal more important to me than buying a new shirt, sweater, car, whatever it is, or is it less important? So every month we're talking about, is this really important to you? And that helps to dig down into the deep eyes, which maintains the motivation. So we start with budgeting, plain and simple. The interesting thing that happens both of these cases, in neither one did they pick up second jobs, but in both of them, they have gotten multiple raises. And I've seen this over and over again, that the people who were handling money poorly in their personal lives, they start handling it really well, and then their professional lives take off, which is just amazing to me. Probably an attitude um, change, possibly. Attitude, but there's no stress over the money. They have control. They're not thinking about their money all day long. So they're able to really buy in at work and really give it for all. And both of them are in jobs that they really love. I think that probably helps too. But yeah, both of them have gotten, I think both of them, for sure, both of them got one raise. But I'm 90% sure that both of them have gotten two raises in the time that they've been with me coaching. With the way they spend their money, what they spend it on. I always tell people, is it a want or a need? Do you need it or do you just want it? That's big. And it can be done. I have another example I'm going to share with you. I had a, it it was a lawyer that worked a public defender. So didn't make as much as say a corporate lawyer. Mm -hmm. And when she, when I said, what's important about money to you? She says, I just want to pay my bills. So we started looking at, you know, all her assets and what she was doing. I said, isn't that interesting that that's all you're doing is just paying your bills because that's your expectation. That's what you said you're doing. And it was almost like I slapped her across the face. She was like, wow. And I said, do you realize uh, you have enough money in the bank right now earning hardly anything, not even a percent, and you have enough to pay off a car loan that they're charging you 8%. I said, just by paying off this car loan, you've gained 8% back. And now you freed up, I think it was 300 some bucks at the time. I said, now you have $300 a month that we can just automatically put in the bank until you get your emergency built up. And she walked out of there. Well, she danced. She danced out of my office. She's like, wow, I just got rid of a debt. I now have free money every month and I'm going to put it in the bank and I'm going to see you in a couple months and I plan to have X amount of dollars saved. But I think the control and the attitude that you just mentioned. I think that's huge. Um, We train real estate agents. I teach classes and I always tell them, and this could be any salesperson on commission, but when someone is desperate for money, the customer can smell it. I'll tell you that right right now. They know when you're just trying to make a sale 
And um, the difference between you and I is we're helping people because we want to, and we're not doing it for the money. I mean, we get paid for what we do, but the ultimate goal is we want to help that person. And I think they can tell. And when you're desperate for money, I think when you say their performance at work has improved, it's probably due to just getting the control on life and feeling better about themselves. Yeah. And when you're not under that immense amount of stress and you know you're going to make it to the end of the month, you've stopped living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, I think it translates into doing better at work. Some people either have a short-term income problem, meaning that their goal, their debt, if they really want to attack it and done fast, they have a short-term income problem. Meaning that they had more income coming in in the short term, then they could get out of debt quicker and then quit debt. We'll look at how much of your money is going out to debt. So in my case, 75% was going out to debt. I had a short-term income problem, right? So as soon as I was out of debt, I quit my side bookkeeping. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just had renting out rooms in my house. It didn't need that income. That was a short-term income problem. Sometimes people have a long-term income problem. So yeah. their basic income does not meet their rent, their basics of life. So we have found that anything over 35% of your income, your take-home pay, if it's over 35% towards rent or your mortgage or whatever, things will be very difficult in your life. That is where you have probably a long-term income problem. You need to move positions or work towards changing your profession. So I have a big picture question for our listeners, but I think the main things that people, if you had some quick main points for people to keep track of, I always say spend less or make more, but maybe some pointers for people if you don't mind. The biggest thing is to sit down and plan your budget for the month before the month begins and then take out cash for a physical location because it'll help you stick within that budget that you've done. And then lastly is to get some type of program that helps you track the transactions. My favorite program is um, youneedabudget.com. It is difficult to learn. I will I will say that. Um, it's not easy. It's very powerful and very empowering once you've learned the program. It's on your phone. You just enter the transaction as you go. That helps you for those transactions like your Amazon purchases to feel it if you're tracking those. So in order to pick up a new habit, like tracking your transactions, you need to tell your brain to do something different. For example, what I'll coach my clients to do is put a rubber band around their debit card. So that when they take it out, they're like, oh, the rubber band means I need to track this in YNAB. You need a budget deck. Or I need to um, write this down or whatever your system is, that rubber band will tell your brain, I'm going to do something different here. So you need something like that. Another thing that you can do is called a habit stack. This is all from James Clear, Atomic Habits. I love that book. But a habit stack is you wake up in the morning. And what is the very first thing you do? So for me personally, I get up, I go to the bathroom, I weigh myself, I take my blood sugar, and then I go directly to the coffee pot. That's my habit stack. I do it the same every single morning. So how do you introduce a new habit in that so that your brain will be like, oh, this is what we do, right? So for example, put on a pot of coffee and then have a sticky note there. Check YNAB for all new transactions. You pull out your phone, 
It takes three seconds to check it. Okay, I know where I'm at. And then you're done for the day. So beautiful. Easy ways to put in new habits to give you more control, I think is key for being able to stick with the budget that um, you've outlined for yourself. And what was the name of that book? Atomic Habits by James Clear. Thank you. Another Um, book is Willpower Instinct. I love that book. Such a great book about habits again. We'll pop that on our Facebook when the episode comes out. Okay, cool. Which will be nice so people can see that. I appreciate all these habits. And I I must say that I, to this day, still say, do I really need this before I buy things, even though I have enough money to buy them? <laughs> I still give myself X amount of cash every week. And when I run out, I'm done. Another tip I've given people is try not to spend money for one day per week and see if you can actually do it. Yeah, no spend day. I like that. I have a no spend day because it makes you aware of how you loosely spend. And I think one of the biggest things I've gotten from you today is that if it doesn't hurt them, they're not thinking about it. They just spend money without thinking. And the difference is they have to start thinking about what are they spending and do they really want or need it? And is it that important to them? Is it more important than the goals? And for us, when I do a cash flow chart and we start writing down the short, medium, and long-term goals, most cases, I don't need to motivate them to save because these other goals are more important to them than those everyday right. things. And they automatically motivate themselves because they have their little wishes right there in writing of what's happening in the next year, what's happening in the next three, five years. Like I might need a new car. I want to decorate the house or have a home improvement or whatever. And then the retirement, I tell them, you kiss that goodbye. That goes in there automatically and you don't even pay attention to that. But when they can't manage to do that, that's when we send them over to you. Yep. And that's why I asked you to come today on the, as a guest because we don't want people no. to be embarrassed that they've gone into debt. You've done it yourself. You can be the hero of your own financial story and be able to look back and laugh at buying a house at auction. You know, you can laugh at your mistakes um, later on. You can do it. I mean, the most important thing about money is I want to impart hope that you can dig out of wherever you're at. You can stop living paycheck to paycheck. Wonderful. In fact, that's a perfect ending. I appreciate you being a guest. I want you to tell everybody what's the name of your business. Be Not Afraid Financial Coaching. Again, I'll post your information on the podcast. Thank you for being our guest. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Uncommon Sense. I'm Jill Gleba. For more stories and all the financial knowledge you wish somebody had taught you, you can find my book, Uncommon Sense, at jillgleba.com. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at The Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.